0: John chapter 1, verses 19 through 34. This was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, Who are you? He didn't deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. What then? They asked him. Are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. Who are you then? They asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So they asked him, why then do you baptize if you aren't Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? I baptize with water, John answered them. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He is the one coming after me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. All this happened in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Here is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water, so he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, The one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God.
1: Uh, and we planted this church with a with a great team of people. Uh, many of you in this room uh, last year, uh, with a desire um, to just kind of really uh, be a faithful uh, gospel-centered church. In the 21st century, here in our Orange County context, it's something that we we prayed for, that we kind of searched the scriptures on, like like what what is what what would a faithful church with this group of people um, look like? Uh, and God provided a wonderful full team uh, to help launch this church uh, last year. Uh, and 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 not only did did did, did he provide a team, uh, but he provided us with some um, ministry partners uh, to help us do that. Um, One of our ministry partners is an organization called Acts 29. Uh, It's a global, diverse network. Really, it's a family uh, of churches, uh, several hundred churches throughout the globe who are committed to raising up healthy leaders, planting healthy churches, the kind of churches that plant other churches that plant other churches. Uh, And the reason that we do that is because we believe uh, that people need Jesus. And the best way to get Jesus to people is through the ministry of the gospel, through planting churches. Uh, and so we're, we're grateful to be part of this global family of churches who have come alongside us uh, to make sure that, that, that we um, are, are healthy when we start uh, and have the tools and resources that we need um, to grow and to reproduce. Um, and we have uh, a special guest with us this morning uh, who will be uh, preaching God's word for us, who is uh, with that network, with Acts 29. Uh, he's leading our efforts throughout the, the Southern Africa region. Uh, and before uh, I invite uh, Pastor Oney to open up God's Word for us, uh, I, I kind of we're going to conduct a brief brief interview so that you can get to know a little bit about who he is. So, Pastor Oney, would you come up here? Are you guys join me in welcoming Pastor One? Uh So, One, tell us uh, tell us a little bit about um, just help us get acquainted with you, like who you are and and a little bit of your story. Sure. Uh, so, good morning,
2: everyone. Uh, It is a privilege to be here. Uh, I have enjoyed my time here in the Orange County. It's my first time uh, out this way. I've been to California before, but first time to the Orange County, and I have thoroughly enjoyed my time with you. Um, So, like Chris said, my name is One. Uh, My last name is Mokatle. You don't have to learn how to pronounce it. Um, I'm married to one wife, uh, and it's important I say one, because I, I am from Africa, but I only have one wife. Uh, we are, we've been married eight years, and uh, together we have two beautiful little girls uh, who I miss dearly. Um, I didn't grow up in the church, uh, and so had no real church background. Um, and then something happened in my life that moved me from knowing very little about who God was to actually wanting nothing to do with Him. Uh, And that was my life uh, up until I got to university, uh, where I found myself in a Bible study. I was there for the wrong reason, Uh, I was pursuing a girl, um, but the Lord used that, and that evening I heard the gospel clearly communicated for the first time, and gave my life to Christ, um, and got plugged into a campus ministry, and have found myself in ministry ever since then.
1: Awesome. Now, uh, Pastor One also um, not only serves as a network director of Acts 29 in Southern Africa, but he's also a church planner himself, Uh, planted a church in Pretoria. Did I say that right? Yeah. South Africa. Um, uh, Tell us a little bit about your your work there and in in that church and and also broadly like your, your work. Uh, through Acts 29 in the region.
2: Yeah, great. So we, we planted a church two and a half years ago called Rooted Fellowship. Uh, if you were to make your way to Pretoria and find yourself uh, at one of our gatherings, uh, someone would come up and welcome you, much like what happened uh, this morning, and then they would say, at Rooted Fellowship, we're about three things. We are gospel-centered, disciple-making, and transcultural. Now, the first two, most churches would agree with that. They'd go, amen, that's great. You should be about the gospel, and you should be making disciples. But what is that last bit, uh, transcultural itself? Like multi ethnic, it sounds like multi cultural or multi racial. Is it the same? And my answer would be yes and no. Uh, yes, in that it's in pursuit of diversity, uh, but no, you know, we're looking for something slightly different, especially in our context. Uh, if you're familiar with the story or history of South Africa, we were under the law of apartheid uh, for just over 40 years, and uh, and that was the segregating of people uh, by the color of their skin. Um, and that law was actually, it actually began in our city. Um, and so when we uh, we're looking to plant a church. We wanted something that would reflect God's creative genius; that it would reflect the kingdom of God, and, and then we went to Pretoria, going, you know, we want to do it here, where it all began, so that. Uh, no other city would have an excuse um, as we see the Lord doing his great work. And so that's a little of our story. And, and what we're looking to do in Acts 29 in Southern Africa as we, like Chris said, want to see healthy churches planted, healthy churches reaching people on the ground in their particular context with the good news of the gospel. Uh, and God's been doing some really, really cool things. Um, and so we're excited about what God has in store for us. We're a fairly new uh, region in the Acts 29 family. Um, and so it's still early days, but, uh, but we're excited.
1: Thank you. Ooh,
2: great. Um, like I said, I, I am incredibly thankful uh, to be here, and, uh, and it's a privilege, it's an honor to open up God's Word uh, anywhere, in any part of the world. Uh, to see God move in a profound and powerful way. Um, And so we've read the text for this morning. We'll be in John chapter 1, just a few verses. We have a bit to cover, and so we'll move through it quite quickly. Um, But before we jump in, uh, I'm going to pray for us. Uh, I'm going to pray for you. I ask that you pray for me, uh, that God would do something more powerful than we could ever imagine right here this very morning. Before I pray, uh, I have one point and one point only, all right? One point. And one point only, and that is our story should point to his story. All right? So our story should point to his story. Let's pray. Father, we are incredibly thankful for this opportunity. We're thankful that we get to uh, sit under your word and uh, to have you reveal yourself to us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do a work that only you can do, uh, and that is to transform the individual lives of people. Lord, would you meet? us where we are, that many of us have walked in here wrestling with so much. Uh, God, we're asking for your Holy Spirit to to grant us peace, uh, a peace that surpasses all understanding, so that we might be still before you, and that would lead to knowing you. Lord, I pray against any distractions here this morning. I pray against the evil one whose desires are to steal, kill, and destroy. Lord, I pray that I would be but an instrument in your hand. And so, Lord, it's to that end that I ask that you stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things you'd have us know, say, and do. May the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. May they be a sweet fragrance to you. God, you are our king. You are our redeemer. Would you have your way in this place this morning? In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Now, if you were to make your way to Rooted Fellowship, and I hope that many of you would, uh, would love to host many of you, uh, to uh, kind of extend that hospitality that I have received from many of you. And so if you were to make your way to Rooted Fellowship, uh, someone would notice that you are a guest. Someone would notice uh, that you have never been there before, and so they would come out to you and they would ask you the question, what is your story? Now that sounds kind of weird, it's not culturally normal to do that. We're used to, hey, so uh, tell me your name, or or, where do you work, or are you married, or how many kids do you have, or what are you studying? We're we're used to that line of questioning, and so it'll be awkward in the beginning, and, and maybe that person might go, no, no, what's your story? I love that question, because in South Africa we believe that we are made up of a multitude of narratives. We have 11 official languages, that simply means 11 uh, tribes. We are a multitude of narratives and stories that I may be black, but, but I come from a tribe called the Tswanas. My wife is black, but she comes from a tribe called the Vendas, but she was raised Bedi. And so you can only imagine how we're trying to raise up our children. They have five languages spoken to them. We are a multitude of narratives. And so when someone asks you the question, what's your story, they're they're trying to get underneath who you are. What makes you, you? I I love it because what it does is also gives you the keys to direct us to where you want us to go. See, if I ask you the question, where do you work, I'm in control. I can kind of dictate where the conversation goes. But if I say, what's your story, and it kind of give you the freedom to share with me what you are most passionate about. Right? You'll think a little bit and go, well, what what am I excited about? What what, what do I want to share? Where, where do I want to start? Do I wanna talk about my kids? Do I wanna talk about my work, my education, where I live, how I grew up? What's your story? What are you most passionate about? I tell you this because our passage begins with that kind of questioning. Some folks show up to John the Baptist. He's baptizing people and his name is is slowly getting out there. and, And so people show up and they're trying to figure out who he is. What's your story, John the Baptist? What are you about? Look with me in verse 19. It says, this was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? Who are you? What's your story? But verse twenty, he answers, He didn't deny, he didn't deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Messiah, I'm not the Christ, I'm not the anointed one, I'm not the promised one. See, John knew exactly what they wanted to know because others had already been speculating about whether he was the Messiah or whether he was the Christ. But he answered them properly and carefully. In fact, the ESV says that he confessed, it says it twice, that he confessed that he is not the Messiah. He wanted to be clear. See, for John, it was unthinkable that attention would focus on him because he was unequivocally not the Messiah. He knew that, but he wanted them to know that. See, his job was to point to the Messiah, but we'll get to that in a moment. The questioning continued. Verse 21, what then? They asked him, are you Elijah? A fair question. Considering he looked like Elijah and he, he came in the spirit and power of Elijah and then the Jews had an expectation that Elijah would come again. In fact, the final words of the Old Testament say that Elijah will come again before the day of the Lord. We find this in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. But John answers them the same way. I am not him. I am not him. Still, the questioning continued. They would not relent. Are you the prophet? See, they were thinking about the one God promised through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 and verse 18, where it says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. We see that promise in Verse 18 of Deuteronomy chapter 18, where it says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. So John, are you a prophet? Are you the promised one? But again, John says, no. No, no, no. He is clear in every denial. So it leads them to ask, well, then who are you? Verse 22, who are you then, they asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? John the Baptist, who are you? What is your story? That's what they're trying to figure out. What is your story? Notice this. John's answers in verse 23 to 28 reveal what is of primary importance in the matter of witnessing. It's critical for us to understand this. What he reveals about himself is critical for us, for those who have crossed the line of faith, for those who look to Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's important for us in our witnessing, in our presentation of the gospel. If we are to be the the salt and light of the earth, then, then we must understand this. Let's read it together. Verse 23 says, He said, I am a voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, so they asked him, Why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? I baptize with water, John answered them. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He is the one coming after me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy of to untie. All this happened in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So let's break this down. If I say that this is incredibly important for us in our witnessing, let's, let's break it down a little bit. Look with me. John says, I am a voice. I am a voice. He did not say, I am the word. But rather, he goes back about 700 years to the words given in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 and 5. And he says, I am just a voice. You're trying to figure out who I am. I am just a voice. He was not the substance. He was not the content. He was not the word. He was just a voice. John says, I'm just a communicator. I am just a communicator borrowing the imagery from the Old Testament passage. He was saying, I am only a workman. Making a road, a path, a way for the Messiah. He moved the emphasis away from himself. He took the focus off himself and wanted to point them to Jesus. He does something similar in verse 27 of our passage this morning where he says, He is the one coming after me whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. He again turns the conversation away from himself and points attention to Jesus, the one and only true Messiah. Not only that, John says that Jesus is so above his league, so highly exalted that ordinary people like himself were unworthy to perform a task relegated to the lowest slave. Let me explain what that means here. See, among the rabbis and their disciples, there was a teacher-student relationship. Now, this relationship had the potential for abuse. It was entirely possible that a rabbi might expect unreasonable service from their disciples. This was normal. Now, one of the things which was considered too low for a rabbi to expect from his disciples was the untying of the rabbi's sandal strap. And so John here says that he is unworthy to even do that. Such humility. This is a man whose name is is, is making its way into the streets. People are talking about him. He's baptizing people, and then this is what he says about himself. Such humility. Who is this man? Of such humility? I'm glad you asked. Jesus says this about him in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Truly I tell you, among those born of woman, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. That's what Jesus says about John the Baptist. Jesus is basically saying of all who have ever lived, Moses, Abraham, David, he he says that John the Baptist is the greatest of all time. So should we know more about John the Baptist? According to Jesus, the answer should be yes. The Bible tells us quite a bit about John the Baptist. There's lots said about him in the scriptures. The scriptures are clear about John's faithfulness and commitment to God and his kingdom. So let's get to know John a little better. John the Baptist was a, a Nazarene The Nazarites were those who took a vow to voluntarily dedicate themselves to God. By definition, the Hebrew word Nazir simply means to be separated, to be consecrated, to be devoted. The Nazarite vow appears in Numbers chapter 6, verse 1 to 21, if you want to go look at it. And so in accordance to that vow, John never cut his hair. He never touched a dead body. He never drank fruit of the vine. He lived a pure, uncontaminated life devoted to God. But let's rewind a little bit. Because like Jesus says, John is no ordinary individual. So let's take a look look at his birth. We can find this in Luke chapter 1. John's birth was a miraculous one. He was born of elderly parents, which is a nice way of saying his parents were old. They were old. His parents had never been able to have children. But then the angel Gabriel announced to Zechariah, a Levitical priest, that he would have a son. News that Zechariah received with great disbelief because he was old. But the angel Gabriel goes on to say this about John the Baptist. He says, "For He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedience to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. What an amazing resume to have before you're even born. This is who John the Baptist was. Now true to the word of the Lord, Zechariah's wife Elizabeth gave birth to John. And at the circumcision ceremony, which was, was a normal normal custom to be practiced by Jewish folk, Zechariah says this about his son. And you, talking about John, and you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. And so John turned out to be a great man. We read about him. He turned out to be an incredible man. Some might say that mothers wanted their sons to be like him, and and fathers wanted their daughters to marry him. An incredible man. Now having said this, if there was ever a man who had the temptation, especially as he saw Jesus' rising popularity to exalt himself, John was that man. He could have talked about his miraculous birth, or how it felt to live a solitary life of self-denial in the wilderness. He could have built an empire on survival tactics for the wilderness, hashtag Bear Or perhaps he could have uh, spoken about his grasshopper diet, proving to us that paleo and banting and all these dust that we have come second to John the Baptist's grasshopper diet. He could have made tons of money doing this. He could have discussed his devotional program uh, or published a manual of discipline for those who wanted to follow God. He faced great temptation. I'm sure he did because he was like you and me. But to his everlasting acclaim, he would have none of it. He would have none of it. In fact, he said later in John chapter 3, verse 30, speaking of Jesus and himself, this is what he says, He must increase, but I must decrease. He says, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. This is how he understood his relationship with Jesus proving to us, revealing to us, telling us that a witness never imposes himself or herself into the picture of the one whom he or she is witnessing. I'll read that to you again. A a witness, remember, we're we're talking about witnessing. We're, We're saying that what John is revealing to us is paramount in our presentation of the gospel. A witness never imposes himself or herself into the picture of the one whom he or her is witnessing. Let me say that in 2018 English. A witness never photobombs himself or herself into the picture of the one whom he or she is witnessing. Now I get that because I hate people who photobomb my pictures. Because it takes so much time to, to position myself well and to make sure that the light is hitting me at the right place, uh, revealing my darkness. And so, when that happens, and then all of a sudden someone jumps behind us and goes, Hey, I am not going, Hey, with you. I hate it, or, or maybe hate is a strong word considering we're at church. And so, I dislike it with great gravity. A witness never imposes himself or herself into the picture of the one whom he or she is witnessing. John was an excellent witness, a phenomenal witness, one that we can learn from. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is the attitude that we must strive for. I am nothing. You are nothing. He is everything. Now, that might sound a little harsh. Are we to think of ourselves as nothing? See, when we see him as everything, it puts into perspective how we are to see ourselves. When we see him as everything, we will understand our true identity that is found in Christ. And so that's why John the Baptist can say that he must increase. Because as he increases in everything that I do uh, and and everything I think about, then I will understand, I will truly understand how I am to navigate in this world. This must become our attitude. This was John's attitude. And it is is to be the attitude of every authentic messenger of Christ. If you've crossed the line of faith, if you look to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, this must become your attitude. So, okay, we're sitting here, we get it, John. We're reading this, we're going through this, and we're like, okay, we get it. We understand you are not the Messiah, you are not Elijah, you don't even see yourself as a prophet, though the pattern of your life might suggest otherwise. It's totally cool, we understand it, we get it. But, John, what is your story? What is your story? I believe if John was here today, he would say, now that we got that out the way, let me share with you who I am. Verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In one sentence, we have the very heart of the Christian message. Jesus is greeted with words that reminded him of his destiny. John's statement made it clear that Jesus would be the sacrifice for sin. You see, the shadow of the cross was cast over the entire ministry of Jesus. God had provided a lamb, the lamb, for humanity's deepest need. This too must become our message the sacrificial death of Christ. It must become our message. Now, permit me to labor on this a little bit longer because I believe it is important for the text. For those who profess Christ as Lord and Savior must acknowledge that our faith is covered in the blood. Our faith is covered in the blood. The blood of Christ cleanses us of all our sin. This is why we sing, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This reality must be primary in our witness. It, it must be primary in our thinking. Now, I know Christ came to give abundant life. This is true. Christ worked miracles. This is true. In fact, he continues to work miracles today. Christ brings us into community. This is true. But these are the benefits of the gospel. In fact, I would say these are the direct implications of the gospel. But they are not the gospel itself. The gospel centers upon Christ who took on our sin. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is the gospel. We must not just know this, but we must believe it. Friends, we must believe it. It must move from something that exists in our heads, that, that we intellectually engage one another over, and it must make its way to our hearts. It must take hold of everything that we do. We must run to Christ. We must run to Christ and I know that we live in a society, South Africa is, is very much like the Orange County, that, that many of us, we're running after all these different things, hoping to find life and meaning in them. Whether it's education, whether it's climbing up the corporate ladder, marriage, children. Relationships, We run after all these things hoping that they will give us all that we need. But they will leave us empty. And so what do we do is we, we hold on to the one and then it fails us. And then we go and run on and hold on to another and then it fails us. And then we go to another and it fails us. And you want to know why they will always fail us? Because none of those things, as good as they are, none of them died for us. They cannot save us. We must know this. We must believe this. Look in verse 30. It says, this is the one I told you about. John continues. He continues to reveal his story that points to God's story, that points to Jesus' story. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I come baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Now, John was born before Jesus. We know this because of Luke chapter 1. So when John says, he existed before me, he is indicating to the eternal pre-existence of Jesus. John is saying, guys, I know who Jesus is. I know who he is. He is God. He is the creator and sustainer of all things that all things were created by him and for him. He understands who Jesus is. But he goes on, verse 31, I didn't know him, but I come baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. See, John's water baptisms were baptisms of repentance. This is how he prepared the way. People had to turn from their sins so that they might receive the Messiah and the benefits of his salvation. Jesus Jesus brought a new, different baptism. Look with me in verse 32. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. See, John's preaching motivated the human will. When Chris comes up here and he preaches to you, he, he's motivating the human will to change. When Oscar does, when, when whoever stands up here and preaches God's word, they, they are preaching and, and hoping to motivate the human will to change. But Jesus, Jesus' message brought the power to change. This should free some of us up. I wrestle with it when I'm, when I'm sharing the gospel with someone when I'm preaching on a Sunday and I know that seated in front of me are people who don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. I, w- I will preach and preach and preach and preach, but I must recognize that I do not possess the power for them to change, but that comes from Christ and Christ alone, and so the joy The joy that filled John the Baptist when recognizing that he has come, the one who has promised, the anointed one who has come, the one who has the power to change the hearts of men and women. When we preach, we motivate the human will to change. But Jesus, Jesus brings the power. His Holy Spirit brings the power. The power to change our lives, to leave our life of sin and enjoy the fullness of eternal life comes only, that comes only from a soaking or immersion in the Holy Spirit. See, the word baptize, baptizo in the Greek means to immerse, to cause to be engulfed, to be plunged into something. And so we are to be immersed into Christ. We are to be engulfed with Jesus Christ. We are to be plunged into his rich and eternal grace. We are to anchor ourselves in Jesus, to find life in him and nowhere else. That he is our hope, our only true hope, not our resources or our intellect, not our connections not our accolades. Those things are great, but history has proven to us that that they are never enough, that they will fail us. And so we are to find ourselves in Christ. Our lives should be centered in and around God through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, that is our witness. That is our story. That is our story. I know many of you are incredibly impressive. Like I said, I've gotten the opportunity to hang around with you guys. Incredibly impressive. And I'm sure people notice. And so they'll, they'll come and they'll go, how did you do that? H- how did you graduate so quickly with, with such great marks? H- how, do you, how do you work your marriage this way? It's so beautiful. I, I desire something like this. How did you raise your kids up to, to love the Lord and to, and to behave I mean, I just want my kids to behave. How do you do that? How do you do all these great things? We can be tempted. I can be tempted to say to you, grab a seat. Let's grab a cup of coffee. Let me tell you about how amazing I am. Let me tell you how how hard I worked. Let me me talk to you about about this wisdom that I possess. We can be tempted to do that. And and even as a church plant, we're two and a half years in and and God's doing some really amazing things in Pretoria, South Africa. I can be tempted to go, well, you see, it's this great strategy that I came up with. It's because I'm better than everyone else. When in reality, if we have crossed the line of faith, our response should be, here is the Lamb of God. Look, the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God. We are to point to Jesus, recognizing that that everything that we have, all our intellect and our resources and our strength and our wisdom, is because of the Lamb of God. It's because of His grace. His rich grace that is poured over us. We should be pointing people to that. Taking the attention of ourselves and onto Him. Behold the Lamb of God. And the really cool thing about beholding when we behold the Lamb of God, we become more and more like Him. What we behold, we become. What we behold, we become. This is clear in in the Lord of the Rings. With Smeagol, I believe his name is Smeagol. Is that correct? There we go. Who then transforms into Golem, simply... Because of his precious. What we behold, we become. Maybe a better way to say it is, uh, how do you know someone does CrossFit? Oh, there we go. My younger brother is a vegan. He doesn't have to say it. What we behold, we become. How will Orange County know that you love Jesus? How will they know that everything that you do is centered around Jesus? How will they know that you are anchored in Jesus? What we behold, we become. And so our story should be this. Look, the Lamb of God. Here is the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But let me land the plane here. Verse 34. John says, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist gives his firm testimony that this is the Son of God. His, his life has just radically changed, that he has no option. He is compelled to go, this is the Son of God. He is the Son of God revealed to us in John chapter 1, verse 18. The one who perfectly declares the nature and character of God the Father. If we want to know who God the Father is, we behold the Lamb of God. We look to Jesus with firm testimony that this is the Son of God. Our lives should declare this in word and deed. But maybe, maybe for some of us, there's things that are getting in the way of that. There are things that are getting in the way of that declaration. There's sin in our lives that we're holding on to that are getting in the way of us making a firm testimony that this is the Son of God. For some of us, it might be guilt and shame. We're holding on to guilt and shame. Maybe for some of us, it might be anger and bitterness. I'm so angry. How could they? How could they do that to me? Maybe we're holding on to unforgiveness. And I know you might be sitting here and going, oh, but honey, you, you have no idea. You have no idea what they did to me. If we read the scriptures. Jesus would be able to say, you have no idea what you've done to me. And yet I forgave. I have come to take away the sins of the world. That's what Jesus' ministry was all about. And so for some of us this morning, maybe we just need to let go of those things. Let go of those things that are keeping us from making this public declaration with boldness that this is the Son of God. Your guilt and shame, your anger and bitterness, Be reminded that Jesus died for that. He was nailed to the cross so that you don't have to carry that. So that you might approach the throne of grace with boldness. Knowing that you are loved more than you could ever imagine. You are loved more than you could ever imagine. Imagine that his grace continually poured over you over and over and over again. That, that, that Jesus is, is not like some of us when we buy something and we hold on to the receipt because we're going, if this thing if this thing does not work, I'm taking it back. If this package is broken, I'm taking it back. Jesus knows we're broken. And yet he still fixed his eyes on the cross that I will die for my people and so all we have to do is accept the invitation that is given to us to come to him to look to him as our Lord and Savior and so my hope King's Cross is that that you would be remembered as a people you would be remembered as a people whose story always pointed to his story that everything that you did was about beholding the Lamb of God. And so we're going to pray in a moment and transition into a time of communion. And, and I want this time to, to be a, an opportunity for us to pause for a moment and to reflect. We do this regularly like you guys at Rooted Fellowship. And, and what I ask of our people is to, to pause for a moment. We live lives that are, are moving at, let me try to translate this, is 200 miles an hour fast? Is that, is that quick? Okay, cool. So, so we're moving at 200 miles an hour. Things are just happening all the time and there's so much noise that in fact it makes us uncomfortable to be still before Him. So I'm going to pray in a moment and ask that we be still before Him. That we be quiet enough to ask ourselves the question, where are we in light of our relationship with Him? Are there things in your life that you're holding on to that are keeping you from making a firm testimony that this is the Son of God? Are there things in your life that scare you so much that if people found out you'd wonder if they'd even love you? Don't believe that lie. God sees them and He loves you. And how do you know? He sent His Son to die for us. So as we partake in communion together, may we reflect together and behold the Lamb of God. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.